Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back again to the program. Thank you for joining us again this week as we continue our series on the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 5, uh, and uh, we have already filmed two programs to chapter 5. We are now in the deliverance section of the book of Romans. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the diagnoses. We are now in the deliverance sec- section of this teaching. And I think very, very powerful stuff. Uh, to me, I have enjoyed this study even personally because it's deepened my understanding of how to put my focus not so much on what I do, but on what God has done. And what we do is we have uh, you know, shared this with you, especially from the uh, message version of the Bible, and it is an ongoing series. We're going to do the entire book. And once again, I want to reiterate that the book of Romans was a letter written to the Romans. While it's a lengthy letter to some degree, it was meant to be read in one setting. If you got a letter from a friend that was writing you something, you didn't read a paragraph or uh, the first page today and, uh, uh, you know, a couple of months later read another passage, or you didn't just pick a few phrases from it. You would follow the continuity of the whole letter that was written. And that's how these books are meant to be written. They are written to both Jews and Gentiles. Romans is an inclusion. I think it's such a powerfully important book because it does shows you that salvation was not just to the Jew only, but also to the Gentile through the seed that preceded the Mosaic Covenant, and that was the Abrahamic Covenant that God said to Abraham, "...in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." And He made that promise to the seed of Abraham. And Galatians 3 says He didn't make that promise to seeds as of many, but to one seed, and to thy seed, which was Christ. So that promise that uh, He would be heir of the world would come through the promise seed, which was Christ. And that that inheritance, and that the nations of the earth, not just the Jew only, but also to the Gentile, would be blessed and included in the work of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to begin reading again in verse 1, and then we're, going to, we're not going to do a lot of... Uh, uh, commenting on this first several verses, because we've already covered that in uh, the first two segments we filmed on this. If you missed any of them, by the way, you can go to our YouTube channel and watch them at your leisure and study them. Uh, You can uh, do that easily by going to our website, where you see uh, right there on the screen our our website, lenhouse.com, and there is a direct link in the upper right-hand corner uh, to our YouTube channel, also to our podcast on iTunes, and there is a link to an RSS feed to the audio portions of that. We encourage you to avail yourself to that. Go watch the videos and listen to the soundtracks because they will bless you. We may at some point use these in a Bible study or Bible school type of a setting. So access them while they are available to you, and I think you will be blessed by them. Now I'm going to begin reading again in verse 1 of chapter 5, and then we're going to get down, because we've already commented on several of the first verses, but we're going to go down and uh, comment on some below this. It says, verse 1, "...by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, that is, to set us right with Him, make us fit for Him, We have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. 
we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He's already thrown open the doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hope we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience is in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancies such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented Himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put His love on the line for us by offering His Son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to Him. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of this resurrected life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to say it in plotting prose. We sing, shout out the praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either. Sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who did not sin precisely as Adam did by observing, by disobeying a specific command of God, still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God, but Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who got us out of it. Now, let me just stop here for a moment, because I want to talk a little bit about He says, so, so death that came by this, sin, this sin, first sin, then death as the result of sin came. So death was the result of sin. So Jesus came to re- remedy that through the victory of His resurrection, because He had no wages of sin coming. Uh, he, could, he could literally save us from that death, so that death would no longer have the final word. And I like how it calls us here, and uh, you know, I, I love how uh, this scripture talks about it being the huge, uh, this death, this huge abyss. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just, you know, Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, When we get to Romans 10, we're going to develop this even further. But if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, 
I believe it is in chapter number 30. It says, who will descend into the deep? That is to bring up the words of this law. Who will go across the sea? That is to bring the words of this law for us that we may hear it and do it. Or who will ascend up to heaven? That is to bring the words of this law down that we may hear it and do it. And then who will descend uh, into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Uh, or who, I, I need to probably just go over here and take, let, let, let me just see if I can find it quickly for you because I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so vitally important to take a look at this. I think it's Deuteronomy. Let me see if I can find it real quickly. But it, it, the comparison here is, I should have probably looked this up a little bit before. Here it is. Uh, for this commandment, this is Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. It said, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. It's not far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Uh, I messed up there. Let me see here. Uh, that we may hear it and do it. There we go. Neither is it beyond the sea that you would say, who will go up who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Now I want you to see again in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, he's talking about who will go up to heaven to get the commandment, which I command you today. Who will go up to heaven to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you would say, who should go over the sea for us that we may hear it and do it, but the word is nigh you even in your mouth. Now let me let me tell you that that, that is a direct quote. Uh, Paul in Romans the 10th chapter, and I'm going to deal with this in greater detail when we get to the 10th chapter of Romans, but in chapter number 10 of the book of Romans, it talks about him establishing the people of God in a righteousness by faith, because he says that the Jews had the law and they were trying to establish their own righteousness, but have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, and that they uh, have missed the promise of God. But then he goes on to say in verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man that does those things shall live by them. But the faith, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks in this way, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Who will ascend into heaven in Deuteronomy 30 to bring the words of this law down to us that we may hear it and do it? But Paul purposely quotes Deuteronomy 30, but in interchanges it in Romans 10 by saying, who will bring Christ down? Who, who will ascend into heaven? Do not send your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the, watch this, the abyss, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does 
it say, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now let me just tell you that Paul was comparing... He's showing you that there needs to be a transition because he said they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So they were trying to establish their own righteousness based on the law. So he quotes Deuteronomy, what I just read to you, who will ascend up to heaven to bring the words of this law down to us that we may hear it and do it. He changes that by saying who will ascend up to heaven. That is to bring again Christ down from above. Or who will ascend into, who will go across the sea, Deuteronomy says, to bring the word of the law that we may hear it and do it. But here in Romans, Paul quotes that. He said, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring up Christ from the dead. So what he's showing you is that this abyss, this great gulf that seems to be fixed, this abyss that I believe even Revelation is talking about where the devil is cast into uh, a bottomless pit, is when you come into a revelation of a righteousness by faith, it will bind the devil, especially in his power to condemn you. Because Christ went down into death and not, not just to, uh, uh, not, not, not just to uh, get up from the dead for one man, but to, as Romans chapter 5 is saying here, it is doing it to, uh, to bridge this gap. That's, let me read it. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone, but the extent of that disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses, even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did. So death, this huge abyss that separated us from God, which I believe is more than just physical death, it is this separation, this termination of life, this, this disconnect from the source of life, this disconnect from the tree of life. Jesus came and ascended into heaven, not to bring the words of this law down to us, but to bring the presence of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit and to restore us to life. He, didn't, he did not just go across the sea to bring the words of this law to us that we may hear it and do it. He descended into the deep or literally the abyss. That if man could simply believe in his heart and confess with his mouth, then this termination of life would no longer exist. And that eternal life would be the result of what he did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In other words, I want you to see that this abyss, this bottomless pit that the devil's cast into is not some figmented idea or an ocean somewhere. It is the fact that Jesus has removed the power of death from us, and he has removed the weapon of the enemy, which was law and legalism, by setting us right with himself through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. In other words, everything that Moses spelled out that was the problem and the dilemma, Jesus came to be the deliverance of it and to bring us into, if you will, another exodus. And that's a whole another series is that there's another exodus afoot because he was the lamb who was leading us out of the bondage that we were in and the lamb was slain on Calvary's tree to release us from the bondages of a servant-slave mentality that we might be established in the righteousness of God. And we'll get into that in detail when we get to Romans chapter 10 because 
It simply turns by saying, with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But man believes because he's heard the word that's flowing from uh, this incredible sacrificial life that He just told us about, this grand setting everything right, that Jesus did to remove death. So it's not necessarily just a heaven hell issue, it's a life and death issue. So what, what happens when you're born again is that you receive this incredible life, this incredible life giving, this grand setting thing. You receive it. You didn't attain it. It was already yours to start out with. But until you grab it by faith and appropriate it, that's the subjective side of the gospel. The grace side is what God already did for you. He ascended to heaven. He, he, everything the law, everything sin could demand, Jesus took it on Himself as the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, so that His resurrection was more than just a celebration on Easter. It was God's firstborn from among the dead, where a whole creation would follow as He was the firstborn of a brand new creation, a brand new humanity, a brand new species on the earth. It was literally, according to the book of Matthew, a messianic rebirth and a reboot of the world. Now our individual appropriation of that happens to us individually. That was a corporate thing that God did for the entire world. There's a resurrection that took place that day where life began to operate. And if this death that Adam released on the human family was aggressive and affected every man, I believe the life-giving recovery gift has the same power to bring about that kind of a change. Now let me just go ahead and finish reading this chapter. Uh, yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel. Well, let me back up a little bit. Even those who didn't sin, this is verse 14, even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by obeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life the separation from God. But Adam who got us into this also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured out through one man Jesus Christ will do. So if one man's death-dealing sin put us in crowds of people in the dead end abyss of separation from God, that His sin put us in the, the abyss of separation from God. Just think of God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp, watch this because this is your inclusion and your response to it. Just think what this breathtaking recovery of life makes, sovereign life, in those, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that one man, Jesus Christ, provides. So he's talking about your response to His grace. It is both of them. It is the way of grace and the walk of faith. Now one man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death. He goes on to say, let me, it, it, it'll, it'll word that for me better in just a moment. 
But he said, we, but I wanted to point out, you need to grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. He didn't just give us a ticket to heaven. He gave us a life gift. He gave us His life. This resurrection life, even when I think about the stone being rolled away at His tomb, I'm thinking, or the, even the tomb of Lazarus, roll the stone away. Roll the stone away, to me, is verbiage that's declaring, get the law out of the picture. The law is the law of sin and death. It is this abyss that man was in of separation from God, this death blow that Adam released on the human family. But the stone is rolled away. Watch this. Not so you can release dead, stinking flesh. It was rolled away to release the power of a resurrected life. That I might know Him, Paul said, in the power of His resurrection. Because it is available. It is a done deal. It has been accomplished through the work and power of Jesus Christ. But He declares to us in this recovery stage of Romans 5, to grasp with both hands something you did not earn, but was given as an extravagant life gift. What He gives us is more than a ticket to heaven. He gives us a life, a reconnection to make us understand we are no longer separated. There's no longer separation. There's no longer an abyss. There's no longer for us a bottomless pit. The only bottomless pit that's left is for your adversary, and you cast him into that when you take the great chain of truth and bind him and cast him in because the Lamb has won the victory and defeated all of our enemies to give us this wildly extravagant life gift. And then verse 18 says, here it is in a nutshell, and I love this verse. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, He got us into a life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. And one man said yes to God and put many people in the right. Now let me just go over again, because that's powerful. Here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. Now I have preached this verse, and I have seen, man, I've I've thrilled many a crowd by preaching, you are not in trouble. And that is, I want to declare that strongly. You are no longer in trouble. God got us out of the trouble we are in. But more than just get us out of trouble. See, everybody's glad that they're not in trouble. But he said, more than just get you out of trouble, he got you into a life. He came to get you not just out of trouble, but to get you into a life. See, this is not just for heaven after a while. This is for right now. That's what's so glorious about the gospel, is that when you get His life, it starts to change all the trouble you're in. Because He really redeemed us from, first of all, the trouble we were in with God. But even as we begin to embrace this wildly life gift, our life begins to get put together more and more. And we're going to see that as we go through this book of Romans, especially in the recovery stages we see here. It said, more than just get us out of trouble, we got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. And one man said yes to God and put us right with Him. So this is a one-man program. Adam got us in this trouble with sin and death. Jesus got us out of it. 
One man said yes, one man said no to God, put us in, uh, and one man said yes to God and put us right with God. And as I have declared to you, showed you all through these chapters, this righteousness or right standing doesn't mean you glow in the dark. It means that you are no longer enemies of God, that you're in right standing, and that God has thrown the door open to you. See, uh, you, God, you, you've already been reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Now the message that we declare is, be ye reconciled to Him. In other words, God's already been reconciled to you. Now you need to be reconciled to Him. It's a two-way, it's a two-way restraint. God first initiates something. God first comes down. God first reaches out to us. God first establishes something. But my response to that is, God is not mad with me anymore. God is not angry with me. I'm not in trouble with Him anymore. I am in right relationship with Him. Now, here's the message. Stop being mad at Him. Stop feeling like you're alienated from Him. Be reconciled to Him. The peace has been made through the blood of His cross. The war is over. It's been accomplished. His death brought peace. It's why it's called the gospel of peace. Hallelujah. He said, one man said no to God, and God has in all this trouble. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. That's just, I don't know how to make it any plainer than he said, here it is in a nutshell. That's it. There's no way you can explain it away. It's just that good. It's too good to be true news. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. I think that's a powerful concept. All that passing laws against sin did, it didn't cure the problem. Preaching law doesn't cure the problem. It just produces more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All that sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. So He not only gets us out of trouble, He tells us that passing laws against sin only produce more lawbreakers. In other words, the law and preaching the law was not the antidote for sin. Preaching grace is the antidote for sin. For where sin abounds, that's where grace will super about. Grace wins hands down. And grace, I think sometimes we, we, we confuse grace and mercy. A lot of times people are preaching mercy rather than preaching grace because Titus says, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So grace is a teacher. And the grace of God, which is the acceptance, the love, the grand setting everything right puts you in right relationship with God. It plugs you back into the source of life where you live out of the life that has been given to you rather than trying to attain something that you can never reach. Well, we're out of time again. I trust you've been, been blessed by this. We do need your help to take the gospel like this around the world. If you'd like to partner with us or you'd like to give a gift to the ministry, go to the website there. It's the easiest way to do it. Or scan the QR code and your smart device right there on the screen. It'll take you directly to a link where you can give to our, our PayPal portal, where you can give via credit card or MasterCard or Visa or whatever, and you can also become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. You can also send a check or money order to the address that'll come on the screen, and you can also call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call. Do it today. God bless you, and thank you for joining us this week. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.